Riverside. This is Pastor Eric with you, of course, for our Friday morning devotion. Usually we're, you know, setting aside a, a passage of scripture and diving into it, but for the last number of weeks we, we've been looking at the various objections that uh, Christians tend to face as uh, as we seek to bring the message to the world. The, the kinds of things that we often hear in today's objection might be uh, at, when it all comes down to it, it might be the biggest reason that people uh, object to faith. Uh, for the first four times we've done this, we looked at uh, whether faith itself was irrational. We looked at whether um, belief in miracles was inherently irrational. Uh, in the third week, we looked at whether we could trust historical claims at all, or for that matter, if we could, uh, how do we know what is true from false and then last week, we, we looked at some various arguments that have been given <clears throat> um, for the existence of God, arguments that we call clues. And, and what that basically sought to point out is that no, like no, none of the arguments, in fact, prove the existence of God, but the arguments are philosophically sound enough that they, it makes it highly plausible that God does indeed exist of some sort. However, we did not make a case when we went over those arguments for specifically the Christian God, and we're still not really getting there today. I am going to address um, what Christianity has to say about the problem of evil, but really I'm just going to address the problem of evil itself as it, re as it um, pertains to someone having faith in a God at all. So with that said, uh, let, let's define the problem of evil first, because this is sort of the most famous formulation of it. I've taken J.L. Mackey's definition of the problem of evil. It goes like this. If a good and all-powerful God exists, he would not allow pointless evil. But because there is much unjustifiable, pointless evil in the world, the traditional good and powerful God could not exist. Some other God or no God may exist, but not the traditional God. End quote. That's basically his formulation of it. He challenges, he doesn't say that this, the problem of evil discounts the existence of a God entirely. It just discounts the traditional notion of an all-powerful and all-good God. And so how do we respond to that? Well, first, it's probably a good thing for us to try and define what we mean when we say evil. I mean, what is it? Is it a thing? Is it a person? Um, Augustine and C.S. Lewis argued that evil in and of itself is not a thing at all. Rather, evil is simply the perversion or the derivation, I should say, the, the, uh, the distance from the perfect good. Darkness is just absence of light. It's not a thing. Uh, let me quote C.S. Lewis for you. The truth is that evil is not a real thing at all like God. It is simply good spoiled. Simply good spoiled. That is why I say there can be good without evil, but no evil without good. You know what the biologists mean by a parasite, an animal that lives on another animal. Evil is a parasite. It is there only because good is there for it to spoil and confuse. Uh, noted Christian apologist Greg Kokel summarizes Augustine's argument this way. Uh, number one, first, all things that, cr that God created are good. Number two, evil is not good. Number three, therefore, evil was not created by God. Second formulation of the argument, God created everything. Second, God did not create evil. Third, therefore, evil is not a thing. 
So that is the position that we're taking, that evil is not, per, is not a thing in and of itself. Evil is the lack of good. Good is a thing. Evil is not a thing. It is just spoiled good. That is the position we're taking. So what do we say? What are the possible ways of handling this problem that people can turn to? Well, I think the most um, common way that people often deal with this uh, is to simply say, because evil exists in the world, God doesn't exist, similar to the J.L. Mackey formulation. So much evil exists, therefore God doesn't exist. However, this doesn't really answer the dilemma. To simply throw out the notion that God exists because evil exists doesn't really do anything to solve the problem. As a matter of fact, it only complicates things more. If you say there's no God, then, well, then you also can't say that there really is any such thing as good or evil at all. Where does that come from in a completely random universe? If there's no one guiding this ship, as much as it might be hard for us to understand, there really isn't anything. There's just notions of what we call good or evil, but they're not really good or evil. Again, C.S. Lewis says, my argument against God was that the universe seemed too cruel and unjust, but how would I got this idea of, quote, just and unjust? What was I comparing this universe with when I called it unjust? Of course, I, I could have given up my idea of justice by saying it was nothing but a private idea of my own. But if I did that, then my argument against God collapsed too, for the argument depended on saying that the world was really unjust, not simply that it did not happen to please my private fancies. Consequently, atheism turned out to be too simple, end quote. On top of this, we also have to note that to just simply say because there is evil in the world or that, uh, that the world is not as good as it could be, that this in some way gives me justification for throwing out the notion of a God that exists. Well, you also have to remember you're throwing away the philosophical arguments that we went over last week when we made the case for the existence of God. The cosmological argument, why if the universe had a beginning, how do we explain what caused that beginning? Uh, the teleological argument or the design argument. Why does the universe seem so designed for life on Earth, especially all the components necessary for our planet to exist? And there was the beauty argument and the moral argument, which basically points out that if evil exists, then good has to exist. And if good exists, then some kind of God exists. So so that's that argument, I mean, you can certainly say, evil exists and therefore I'm mad at the notion of a God who would allow evil to exist and so I don't want that God. Okay, you could do that, but it simply doesn't prove that there is no God or doesn't really deal with the problem of evil at all. Uh, and so some have uh, sought throughout history in different religions and worldviews to say, well, they kind of take the opposite tack. They'll say, there's really no such thing as evil. In other words, it's an illusion. Good and evil are not real things. But again, this is really kind of hard to accept because real life data, in other words, our experience of life in which we've in endured the injustice and suffering and, and real evil make it very hard to just say it's simply an illusion. One day, um, Francis Schaeffer was talking to a group of people in the digs of a young South African um, uh, village or, or groups in the digs of a young South African in Cambridge. And among others, there was uh, present a, um, a man of Sikh background who strongly challenged the notion that there was indeed good and evil, that it was all just an illusion. And one of the other students, understanding the implications of what this young man was espousing, 
walked over with a flaming hot boiling pot of tea and stood above the man as if he was going to pour it on him saying, there's no difference between good and evil. It's just an illusion. And of course you get the point. If he had scolded the man with boiling hot water, the man would not have thought such an injustice done to him was simply an illusion. It would have caused real pain. And so, so the argument that evil just simply doesn't exist or good or evil is just an illusion, it doesn't square with our real life experience. So it's a hard argument to hold to. Many have, but it doesn't, you, you kind of have to tell yourselves, uh, you, you kind of have to sell yourself on that based on uh, what you're taught rather than actually what you experience. Uh, third, third way of dealing with it is you could simply say, yes, okay, there could be a God, but God can't stop evil. He's not all powerful. That, that certainly is uh, an understandable view. And it does sort of, the appeal of it is it takes God off the hook. I mean, th this idea basically suggests, okay, yes, um, God does, doesn't have the power to deal with the evil in the world. Uh, but, he, but in this view, he tends to be very sympathetic with human beings that are experiencing evil. This was kind of the view popularized by uh, Rabbi Harold Kushner in the book, Why Do Bad Things Happen to, to Good People? And, and of course, you could hold this view. Um, it, it wouldn't be in, in line with biblical teaching. That would certainly be the case. But, but there is, a, I mean, a big hole here in that, that the, the situation kind of becomes even more hopeless um, because now you're, you're saying there's a God that exists, but he's powerless. He can't actually fix the situation we're in. And even if he promises to one day fix the situation we're in, how on earth do you have any assurance that he's powerful enough to hold to his guarantees and to his promises? And so this leads to all sorts of insecurity uh, when you have a God that is incapable of fixing the problem. The fourth way of dealing with it is basically you could say, well, it's almost, again, the opposite tack. Uh, God won't stop evil because God, it turns out, is a gigantic cosmic sadist looking at the universe, just treating and torturing everybody in the universe for his own pleasure. You could say that. You could try and make that case. Uh, you could try and make God responsible for evil. Again, this would be totally antithetical to what uh, the biblical position is. Um but again, there's also a problem here in that we're, we're assuming that we can know the possible reasons for why certain kinds of injustices and suffering happen. And, and we don't. We just don't have an eternal perspective. And yet we're assuming things about God that we can't possibly know. And so um, what has been the Christian response to the problem of evil? Well, I'm not going to tell you today that I'm going to wrap this thing up and that it's going to become nice and simple and a nice little bow tie on it because the reality is the problem of evil has always been tough for anyone, atheist, religious, whoever. There's always problems. This is the hardest thing to deal with. And yet here's Christianity's answer to the, the problem with evil. Number one, God endures evil. So God doesn't simply stand above it. And God doesn't, God's certainly not ordering the evil, but indeed God endures evil. God doesn't stand far off. He gets his hands dirty, so to speak. This is abundantly clear throughout all of scripture that in the person of Christ, God is actually enduring the suffering, having injustice placed upon him. So, so God knows what it is to go through that. 
And so what we learn by that is that evil and suffering don't happen because God doesn't care. We might not know always why it happens, but it doesn't happen because he doesn't care. A number of years ago when my uncle died suddenly and very quickly of, a, of a, just a ravaging disease, my grandfather, his father, was uh, of course still alive and he was very upset about this and he was wrestling with um, you know, how he could even confess there to be a God at all. As a matter of fact, my grandfather at the time would still have called himself at the very least a gigantic skeptic and probably an atheist. And so he asked me, you know, he used to call me, I was studying for ministry at the time. Uh, he used to call me father, sort of jokingly. And he said, all right, father, tell me, why would a good God allow this to happen to my Bobby? Why would he, why would he take my Bobby? Now, there had been another pastor around that had come to my grandfather and had given him, oh, you know, a, 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 I, I think he meant well. But he gave him a very trite answer. And the trite answer was something like, well, you know, God just needed another angel in heaven, something like that. And my grandfather found this to be massively offensive. And understandably so, understandably so. I wasn't going to try and give my grandfather any of that stuff. I just said, I don't know why God took Bob when he did, Grandpa. I have no clue. But one thing I do know, it's not because God isn't good. The cross proves that to me. I don't know why God allows the evil and suffering in the world that he does, but I know for certain it's not because he doesn't care. The cross is the proof of that. That's the Christian perspective on it. And number two, so God endures evil in order to redeem that which is evil. And then, this is the big idea, this is the end of the story, God will one day stop all the evil. In other words, the Christian response is that he's not done dealing with this problem. God even is shown to work through that which uh, is evil and unjust in the lives of his people. If you don't believe me, just look at the story of Joseph, Joseph found in Genesis 38 through 50. To accomplish his good purposes, in Romans uh, 8.28, we're told that God uses all things to work together for the good for those who are called according to his purpose. Philip Yancey puts it like this, God's method with evil is cure, not prevention. Well, you say, well, not every story ends like Joseph's though, Eric. And my question back to you would be, how do you know? Yes, on this level playing field here, on this temple plane, it might seem that there's no sense to the injustice that's faced, but never underestimate the fact that we serve an eternal God who indeed is going to bring justice through these situations. Maybe the greatest example of this is in the resurrection of Jesus, where there's no more unjust act in the history of the universe, and yet it's through the injustice and the evil perpetrated against the very Son of God that God is able to accomplish his greatest feat, reconciling his enemies to himself. So that's how the Christian church has dealt with it. We don't seek to give explanations and try and figure out exactly why God did this, because that's beyond our purview. What we can say is what Scripture says, and that is that God doesn't stand far off when we face evil, and that God is going to fix the problem of evil one day. But let me wrap up with this. There is, I think, a bigger problem with the problem of evil when people bring up this objection. 
You can deal with the argument um, against God from the problem of evil in a philosophical, logical tone. But I have found very rarely is this argument brought up in a cold, abstract, philosophical manner. Usually, the problem is not disbelief in God, but anger at God for allowing what he did or doing what he did, depending on how you see the situation. And in dealing with these bruised reeds and smoldering wicks, those who are suffering, we need to first and foremost not come with our philosophical and logical responses, but we just need to empathize with that person and say, I'm so sorry for the hardship and the suffering you have endured. Before we pontificate, we need people to know we love them, that we understand that we ourselves have wrestled with the same problems and have dealt with the same kinds of sins and injustices in our world too. One of my favorite stories in the Gospels is the story of the raising of Lazarus. But it's actually not the raising of Lazarus that I love the most in that story. Rather, it is the heart that I see of God and my Savior Jesus Christ in that story that so moves me. You know the story. It's been a few days. Jesus knows Lazarus is dead when he shows up to the tomb where Lazarus is at. The people, the sisters, the family members, everyone around is weeping and moaning in grief. There are accusations lobbed against Jesus from Lazarus' sisters. Both of them say, if you had been here, none of this would have happened. Now, Jesus knows what he's going to do. He knows he's going to go to that tomb and that Lazarus is going to walk out at his word. He has all knowledge and all power and all goodness. Yet that does not stop him first from entering into the pain with the people. John tells us three expressions of emotion he has. Number one, he was deeply moved in spirit. It literally means it actually can be translated to snort as an expression of anger, to be moved with the deepest emotions to express violent displeasure. God is said to be, is shown to be angry at evil and what it produces in this world. He is so angry that he is greatly troubled. It literally means that he's shaking as he's seeing people weep and mourn. And then, of course, that leads to him weeping. Jesus wept. He burst into tears. So how does God react toward the evil and suffering? He empathizes. He hates it. He's angry at it, and he's doing something about it. He loved Lazarus and his sisters and the people so much that he just couldn't stand seeing the pain that evil and suffering brought upon them. And so he empathizes and weeps with them before going to the tomb and bringing the solution to the problem that evil had dealt that family. So we have some responses we can give with people. But first, we need to empathize with them when they bring up this problem. Let me close with a quote from Dostoevsky. It's one of my favorites because I think uh, to the degree that we can trust that somehow God is working in the midst of the problems and the hardships we see in the world, well, the, the better off we will be 
and the more able will be able to say something like Dostoevsky said when he said, I believe like a child that suffering will be healed and made up for, that all the humiliating absurdity of human contradictions will vanish like a pitiful mirage, like the despicable fa fabrication of the impotent and infinitely small Euclidean mind of man. That in the world's finale, at the moment of eternal harmony, something so precious will come to pass that it will suffice for all hearts, for the comforting of all resentments, for the atonement of all crimes of humanity, of all the blood that they've shed, that it will make it not only possible to forgive, but to somehow justify all that has happened. All right, that is the objection known as the problem of evil. I hope that has been at least helpful to some degree for you. God's richest blessings for you. Join us on...